Today is Sunday, September 8th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 331, featuring Boston Globe National NBA writer Gary Washburn, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $55 or more. Hey everybody, happy football season. Patriots, of course, will kick off their title defense against the Steelers in Foxborough a little bit later on tonight. They'll unveil their record-tying sixth title banner, which is just incredible year by year. But the basketball team, about an hour up the highway, still fighting to extend its record number of championships, looking for banner 18 while some of its players chase a World Cup title right now in China. So we're going to talk about all sorts of things. Welcome into Celtics Beat. I hope you've had a great summer. Kids back in school. Maybe you got a little bit of routine back in your life. I'm certainly trying to. Good vacation last week. Thanks to Evan Valenti for captaining the ship. But I am back for the foreseeable future now. Season's right around the corner. And thrilled to welcome in Boston Globe National NBA writer Gary Washburn, good friend of this program. Last time, actually, Gary, that you were on the show in uh, mid-May, right after the Celts were eliminated by the Bucks. Certainly a lot has changed. Yeah, very interesting summer for the organization. And uh, an opportunity for them to forge ahead after kind of taking a major step back. And so uh, a lot of things are, are different, and um, they're going to have to kind of start from scratch. You know, they're no longer the favorites in the East. They're going to have to – a lot of guys are, will have to play with some new added pressure, the Jason Tatum's, the Jalen Browns, and we'll see uh, what they're made of. And we'll see how this team moves forward with Kimball Walker uh, as their primary floor general and leader. Oh, we can get to all that stuff in a little bit. How's everything going with you? How's the summer been? Fine, action-packed, but, you know, very interesting, obviously, with the NBA and all all that's gone on, and now the World Cup, which mm-hmm. is kind of a little added, added bonus in terms of uh, everything kind of starting early. But, yeah, very, very good summer. Is this fun for you, the World Cup? Never mind all the different things we'll talk about in terms of Jason Tatum and the injury, all that. Just for you covering it, I know you're not in Shanghai, but the early mornings getting up to watch these games, maybe occasionally writing about it. Is is this good at, you know, a little element to the summer that you don't normally have and so it's fun, or is it sort of a pain you'd rather just wait until actual NBA training camp gets going? No, I think it's a good thing. I think uh, international competition is always good. I think, unfortunately, you know, FIBA... In the, on the basketball side, still trying to figure out how to put, you know, their quote unquote World Cup into where it's it's significant and that people follow it. Um, and so this is a tough time of year, I think, for the players because obviously you got football season coming up. Uh, obviously starting last night, and and you got um, you know the NFL here, college, and now you've got this World Cup, but. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I think it's pretty awesome uh, for a lot of NBA guys to play for their countries. If you look at the rosters up and down, a lot of NBA players decide to to participate. And um, so I think it's awesome. I think it'll kind of give us a preview for the Olympics next year. Well, if FIBA wants any advice, maybe, I don't know, put the games on a service where people can watch without subscribing, at least early on in the tournament. Because I don't know about you, I've gotten a whole lot of complaints on my Twitter feed about having to pay the five bucks a month or whatever for ESPN Plus to watch these first round games as opposed to just, I I don't know why, and I'm not going to pretend to anticipate what ratings would be or anything, and probably not very good, especially at that hour of the day. So you're not going to put them on on ESPN, but NBA TV or or somewhere like that, stream them online. I I think if you want to build your global brand, especially if you're FIBA, not the Olympics, you're it would help to offer these games for free and, and just let the people find them and really get roped in. Yeah, you would think so. But I also think the NBA doesn't have anything to do with FIBA. And I think uh, that's that's the important point here. We True. We, we would love to, for the NBA TV to cover it. You would think, well, they don't have anything else to do. It's not even, you know, we're not even at preseason yet, but the NBA and FIBA are not the same entity. So, um I'm not sure how it came to be on an ESPN Plus uh, as opposed to ESPN, but I think ESPN pretty intelligently is like, we probably get better ratings for NFL Live, and we probably get better ratings for, you know, 10 other shows than, you know, anything uh, World Cup related besides the United States. So uh, 
here we are, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and, and that, that, that's a tough one. You know, you 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 you'd like uh, FIBA to be more involved or more uh, forthcoming in terms of the coverage, but we all know how uh, these 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 uh, Olympics and these you know the FIBAs do things. They do things in 1964, <laughs> uh, not 2019. So yeah. uh, it doesn't surprise me. No, all about making money too. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about the tournament. Obviously, as it really centers around these players and and the Celtics team, we'll cover a lot. This show, looking ahead, it's going to be more about the listeners. I solicited a, a ton of questions on Twitter. We'll do a mailbag in a little while. But first, the the biggest C's concern right now, Gary, is. You know, Marcus Smart hurt his quad before the tournament started, and uh, he's had to battle through that a little bit, hasn't played in every game. And then more notably, Jason Tatum rolls the ankle in the win over Turkey, game that really shouldn't have gone to overtime in the first place. But still, he gets hurt, hasn't played since. He'll be reevaluated coming up. But plenty of Boston fans just want these guys sent home. You know, it's that whole bubble wrap mentality. And playing in the World Cup isn't worth the risk in their eyes. And here's what Brad Stevens had to say on that debate. There's risk in every workout, in every five-on-five game, walking down the stairs, you want to name it. Like, at the end of the day, I don't even, I'm not even worried one iota about that. Basketball injuries can happen in a lot of different avenues, in a lot of different ways all over the world, organized and unorganized plays. So there is no better preparation than these guys getting a chance to play right now. What's your opinion? I think that they should should play. I think this is good for them. I think that coming off last season, uh, which was obviously terribly disappointing for the organization, a chance for four key guys in your team to get confidence, to learn how to travel together, play together, get to know each other, I think is essential. I think it's a good thing. And I think also for guys like Tatum and Brown, who neither had a great year last year, neither neither took that major step forward, for them to get a chance to play internationally, get, get the confidence that they're amongst the elite players in the NBA. That, you know, I think Tatum, I think it does a lot for his confidence that he was chosen to play for this team and – uh, I think even, you know, Brown, for him to be added on, uh, I think says a lot. And I think for them to play at this level, from play internationally, to play where the pressure is on and they are dependent on as primary scorers, primary players, I think it's something that they desperately need, uh, especially coming off last year where uh, it was just a, you know, disaster in terms of the progress and, you know, both of them had choppy, inconsistent seasons. So I think it's just, it's great. I mean, yeah, there's going to be situations once in a blue moon, like a Paul George or Team USA. But, I mean, Jason Tatum sprained his ankle. He could do that playing in Brighton, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins tore his ACL in a workout in Las Vegas. Yep. But nobody – three people attended, you know. Uh so these things can happen. You can't protect these guys too much. It's like letting your kids go out there and play. I mean, they're going to bump their heads. They're going to cut themselves. But you've got to let them kind of uh, get that experience. So I, I think it's great for the organization, for the Celtics, that this happened, especially this summer, especially coming off such a, um, you know, terrible season chemistry-wise and such a disappointing season. Well, and you can look at both sides of the debate, right? And you hit on some of it. Obviously, on the pro-playing side, the experience is invaluable. Tatum had some important late free throws, clutch minutes against Turkey. There's good competition on the world stage. He's learning. All these guys are learning under Greg Popovich, Steve Kerr. They're, they're elite coaches there, so that only helps them and Brad Stevens, for that matter. On a personal level, players can elevate their national and international brands, and we know how much these guys care about their marketing, plus – as you said, workouts with trainers, they're not nearly as organized, and, and you saw what happened with DeMarcus Cousins, but you also do have that 
travel's a grind, and players can experience some fatigue going into the season. I think that's a little bit of a concern. You may remove some of the injury risk by not playing, but uh, I- I'm inclined to agree with you and, and Brad and-, and many other people that feel this way, that playing wins out for guys who do have the opportunity. And you just pray nobody gets seriously hurt. I'm not sure that we really need to see four guys there, but that's beside the point. But it does help in this area, like you said, the bonding on and off the floor. Kemba, Jalen, Jason, and Marcus. Is it really that important? important though especially after last year and all the chemistry issues or is that kind of an overblown storyline no i think it's important for them to play together and also no one no one's kind of no i mean no one talks about this you know you're you're getting two to three months of playing for greg popovich and steve kerr and and guys who i mean real amazing coaches the top two three coaches of the game i mean However you want to place Brad, if Brad's top five in people's eyes or top seven or however you want to place Brad, um, these guys are getting three months, two months of uh, Coach Pop. And remember, it's like Curry's on the staff, Lloyd Pierce from the Hawks. So, I mean, Jay Wright from Villanova. So they're getting premium coaching uh, in addition to this experience. So, if I, I think Brad is ecstatic that these guys are getting a different voice, seeing how things are with another coach, a guy who's considerably probably older, different um, than Brad, and seeing how that goes. So to me, I think the experience is, is very rewarding for the Celtics. I know the U.S. blew doors off Japan, but has the Americans' overall play disappointed you at all, even with kind of a, a watered-down roster? I mean, no disrespect to Kemba Walker in that he is the, the best player on this team, but if they had the guys that they would have hoped to have had, the guys that will be on the Olympic team inevitably next year, you have a very different roster. Yeah, I mean, this is a lot of guys on this team will not play for the Olympic team next year, depending on what some of the league stars decide to do. The, uh, the LeBrons and the Currys and the Hardens and the Kawhis and the Georges. Let's see what happens because, obviously, you're talking about next year, Tokyo, a major uh, market that the NBA wants to, to – and a lot of players want to hit, um, you know, brand-wise and spend two weeks there. And, obviously, the Olympics next year is in July and August, so you're not killing your, you know, your legs – leading up to the uh, training camp like they are this year. So this is a golden opportunity for some of these young guys uh, to play on this Team USA. I mean, I'm not really shocked that they're not just blowing teams out. I mean, they they don't have a premium shooter. Joe Harris is your uh, primary best, quote-unquote, best shooter. uh, And – these guys are relying a lot on the three ball, the Harrison Barneses and some of these guys who aren't, who are solid three-point shooters but not great ones. Uh, the game, the FIBA game is way more physical. I think guys are getting used to that. I think guys are getting used to the chemistry. I mean, will they be a very good team by the end of this thing? Yeah, I think they will be. But I kind of expected that they would struggle, especially, I mean, you had so many guys, Adam, drop out. I mean, right. you know, you I mean, hey, you know, Landry Shamit's got to get ready for the season, right? I mean, you got, I mean some of these guys you got to be kidding me. De'Aaron Fox and Devin Booker and guys who really could have used this experience to not only improve personally, but their brand and, you know, be the be the man. I mean, Devin Booker is a guy who puts up big numbers, as we saw. He dropped 70 on the Celtics, but he's playing for a horrible team in Phoenix. I mean, but he turned down the opportunity. So, I mean, hey, you've got guys who, you know, like a Jalen, like a Joe Harris, you know, Miles Plumley, who would not generally uh, – sorry, Mason Plumley, who not generally would have – or Brooke Lopez, you know, been able to have this opportunity. Um, so it's going to take time for guys to learn. I still think they'll win this thing. But the days of uh, the dream team and then blowing everybody out by 40 and taking pictures afterwards midcourt just ain't happening anymore. 
You know, I saw something. I don't know if you caught any of this. Some of speaking of ESPN Plus before some of Kobe Bryant's new detail episode, and he focused on Kemba Walker, and he was critical of Kemba kind of doing too much, especially with the ball, making himself work too hard, pulling out for a running start when he didn't have to, driving at inopportune times, and letting the defense collapse on him. Have you seen some of that in his game? I mean, he can he be more efficient with the ball than he is? Yeah, I, I think sometimes. Um... His pick and roll game. I mean, he's a master at it, but sometimes he relies too much on it. I think he needs to be, be a better distributor. But also, I think it's a matter of they, in, in some cases, they've needed him, really needed him to score. Um, I remember I watched the loss to Australia in the exhibition, and he missed some real chippies. I mean, he hits a couple of those shots, they win that game. Um, but I, I don't have a real issue with Kimba in this game. Tatum's not shooting well. Uh, well, last night, you know, shooting, I think, 31% from the field uh, during the competition. So Tatum's got to get better. He's got to make shots. Brown's doing fine. Smart is, is you know, he's going to defend. He's going to take some threes that aren't going to go in, as we, we've seen Marcus do for the last five years. Uh, guys are who they are. Uh, but you just want them in a situation to get more confidence, uh, to play better in the team concept and just learn what they can from this experience, especially playing for Coach Popovich. Doc Rivers, uh, another, it varies, I guess, how, how good a coach people believe he is in terms of that overall spectrum of the NBA, but certainly viewed as one of the upper echelon coaches among that group. He was in Boston for the ABCD Hoop Dreams event, uh, said the East is wide open, believes the Celts can win. I'm not surprised he said that, especially to a, a group of Boston media, but are you buying in on that? I know the, the Celtics are by no means the favorite to come out of the East as they were last year, but with this reworked roster and... Kawhi Leonard leaving Toronto and just all the movement that we saw over the course of the last few months. Do you think the Celtics have a chance to surprise people? Uh, I think they do, yeah. I think they have a good amount of talent, but it's all depending on Brown, Tatum, and Hayward. I think those guys all have to take a major step forward. And then they're going to be a different team without Horford in the middle uh, defensively. But we don't know whether it could be a better thing with Cantor kind of soaking up a bunch of offensive rebounds and getting to the free throw line, it could be a better team in terms of attempting free throws. They've never been a good free throw shooting team in terms of getting to the line consistently in the Brad Stevens era. Cantor does that very well. That's one of his strengths. You know, he's not a great defender, but he's a big body. He's present. Um, so we'll see what they do in the middle. I think that's key, but I think they'll be a little different. I think it's going to take them time to get together. But let's see what happens with, you know, Cantor, Tice. And we have no idea uh, what to expect from Vincent Poirier. Mm -hmm. And then Robert Williams is a guy who's a wild card who, in his second season, is going to play more minutes or get an opportunity to. And let's see what he does with it. Does he become a defensive force? Does he become a Tyson Chandler type? Does he get more confidence where he's just not out there like, you know, a junior varsity kid trying to play varsity and just not make, make any mistakes, you know, like he was as a rookie. So there's a lot of questions, but I do think they have the potential to be pretty good. Uh, and then the pressure is not on. The spotlight is not on. No one expects them. They're not supposed to coast to the finals like they were last year. Uh, I think Kimba will definitely be yeah, an unquestioned leader on this team, but, but more by example. I don't think he'll be the guy who's – telling these young guys what they have to do unsolicited. I think he'll – and I think that's what they're working on this summer. I think it's good for him to kind of bond with Brown and Tatum. That's an important bond there. So I think they have a chance to be pretty good. Uh, are they the favorites? Absolutely not. Are they as good as Milwaukee or Philly? No. Uh, but we have no clue how this is all going to work. Is, is, is Hayward going to take the – is he back? Is he going to be Utah Hayward? Uh, is he going to be better than last year? I think the organization hopes and banks that that's going to happen. Uh, Tatum and Brown are going to take a step forward. Um, what about the bench? You know, is Marcus Smart going to stay healthy? There's so many things, variables on this team that if it goes well, it could work out and they could, be, they could win more than the 49 games they won last year mm -hmm. very easily.
Doc admitted, and and you just acknowledged as much, expectations, they can be overbearing. You know, they they were last year, clearly, for this group. But he knows a thing or two about that as well. Here's what uh, some of what he had to say. I think they learn, you know, especially the young guys. You know, Brad had a young team, you know. And, you know, they had the first year where they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And next year, the assumption of winning is a dangerous thing, you know. Uh, and I think young players assume you know, that, oh, we'll be back next year and the same thing will happen. And you find out that that's not so. And so that experience will be invaluable for them. Uh, you'll see Tatum and, and Brown and those guys, they'll be much better because of it. So do you believe that they will, that last year was a great learning experience? Uh, we'll see. I, I, I'm not necessarily convinced of that. Uh, it all depends on what they do this year. So I'm not going to turn around and say, well, they a year from now, we could be talking, yeah, that was a year that they really needed. But, you know, it was one of those things that was a necessary evil that needed to happen for them to take the next step. Or we could be saying uh, something completely different. But I think, of course, I think it can be. Um, it all depends on how these guys approach this, whether they take responsibility uh, for their fault in what happened last year or is it just pointing fingers we we really don't know i think a lot i, I would hope that uh a lot of guys on this team look in the mirror and try to figure out why this didn't work and said what can i do different this year can i be a better teammate can i be more selfless uh can i listen a little bit more can i not be as sensitive as i was can i take constructive criticism so on and so forth because that these are the keys uh to taking that next step. The guy's got to be tougher. This team had no toughness last year, no fortitude. When the, things got tough, they folded. When teams punched back, uh, they succumbed. They fell on their face. And this, this team has to be tougher for them to get to that next level. You've got to take – there's going to be losing streaks. There's going to be times where you play bad in the back-to-back. They can't turn into a five-game losing streak. You can't turn into, you know – seven losses in 10 games, this team has to be tougher. And who leads that toughness? Is it Kimba? Is it Tatum and Brown? Um, is it Marcus Smart? Who is going to be the unquestioned leader, the soul of this team, to get these guys to snap out of it? Because there were guys in the locker room that tried, and they just didn't work. All right, let's get to the mailbag, Gary, because uh, we have a bunch of questions. We won't answer all of them. There were a, a ton on Twitter, and you can always find us on Twitter. We appreciate when you do. I'm sure you probably, if you check your notifications, saw some of these things. And, and we grazed on a bunch of these as well, but I'll let you go into, uh, you can be as expansive or, or detailed as, as you choose to be. But here's the first one from Patrick. Coming off of last year, how important is the 2019-20 season for Brad Stevens' job security? Knowing full well, of course, he's got years left on that deal, but is he coaching for his job? No, no. I think that there's full confidence in Brad Stevens, and I think that the organization understands that Brad took last year as personal as anybody could. This is, this is a guy who's very selfless. Uh, he is not looking and saying to, to everyone, well, th- those guys messed up. I, I, I did what I was supposed to do. It just didn't translate. I think he looks and did some real soul searching in the first couple of weeks after the season and tried to figure out what did I do wrong. And uh, so I think there's no way, no chance he's coaching for his job uh unless this season is an unmitigated disaster, hmm. and I just don't see that happening. But, no, I think it, Stevens is very secure. If he were to be fired, he'd be hired the next day by an NBA team. I mean, just look at teams around the league, you know, the Charlottes and the uh, Detroits and teams that are, that are looking for quality, consistent coaches uh who have been through the, the merry-go-round of coaches, they would they would hire Brad in 15 minutes after he left the Celtics. This one from John, and I agree with you, by the way, that uh, Brad has absolutely nothing to worry about. I don't know that he keeps his mentality that way. He's he's you know It seems like kind of a Tom Brady type where he just always remembers where he came from and always has a chip on his shoulder as, as he looks to grow and get better. But from uh, John here, I know the Celtics play to win championships every single year. Would a return to the Eastern Conference Finals be considered a success for this year's team, or is it finals or bust now for the duration of Kemba's contract? No, I don't think it's finals or bust. I think if they were to return to the Eastern Conference Finals, 
and I think that that would be a step forward. And remember, they lost in the second round last year. Uh, but the finals are the, the, long, the ultimate goal. There's no more being shocked about it. There's no more, well, maybe next year. I mean, the goal is to, to, to be the best team in the East. And I think the window is open there. We don't know what to expect from Milwaukee. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty, very good. I think it'll be very good, but we don't know about them losing Malcolm Brockton to Indiana. We don't know how that's going to work. And then kind of choosing, you know, they chose to re-sign Brooke Lopez. Uh, But, you know, they've got some pieces. You know, Philadelphia, we don't know how it's going to go without Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, and without Horford and how that's going to work. I mean, there's some questions in the other organizations, too. You know, there's not one team that you'd say, okay, they're they're ready. You know, I mean, you would like to think Giannis is going is was a little upset about you know getting sunk by the Raptors in the playoffs last year, and the Bucks are going to take a step forward with him and Middleton, uh, Bledsoe, and those guys. But we don't know. I mean, this is a team that also you know uh, kind of fold in the playoffs. So we there's a lot of questions with the other teams too. We've mentioned Jalen Brown a few times, Jason Tatum as well. This one's from uh, Danny. He said, what specifically does Brown need to improve to take the next step? What does he need to do? What statistic? And same question for Tatum. Brown needs to improve his open court ball handling, be able to take the ball coast to coast, become a more consistent defender without fouling, and just be a better, more consistent three-point shooter. There's times where he he is a very efficient, very good three-point shooter. There's times where he isn't. Jalen has to learn how to pick his and choose his spots a little better. There's times he needs to be more aggressive and times he should be a little bit less aggressive. I just think feel for the game is um, what Jalen needs. He's an exceptional athlete. He's got fire. He can, he, he can be a 3 and D guy and you don't, fans don't know what that is. It's a guy who just, you know, you're Trevor Ariza in his heyday, the guy who can defend and do so many different things Three and D guys like a tight end in football where you block, you know, he's like the Gronk. You know, you block, uh, you know, you catch passes, you're, you're the right hand man of the, the quarterback in, in tough times. And the three and D guys, the player who can shoot threes, defend, and do a little bit of everything because of his versatility. And Jalen needs to be that guy. Tatum just needs to be more efficient offensively and give more effort. I'm not saying he doesn't defend, he's not James Harden or anything defensively. He tries, but he's got to be more of a factor defensively. He's got, he's very physically skilled. He can be a good defender. He just needs to be a good, better defender consistently. And also, stop trying to be Kobe. You're not Kobe yet. <laughs> uh, you know, spinning mid-range looks great, but the ball's got to go in the basket. You know, and he's got to, he's got to be more efficient and confident in his shots um, and also take better shots. And also, in addition, Adam, mm-hmm. be a better three-point shooter. He was almost forty-three mm-hmm. percent as a rookie. That dipped considerably last year, and he and he passed up a lot of three-point shots. It was obvious his confidence wasn't there with the three. He's got to he's got to be a knockdown three-point shooter. He's got to be a guy that teams have to guard off the break. They just can't let him open. Um, or it's like, okay, let Jason do his little dribble spin thing because he's probably not going to hit the shot anyway. Like. He's got to be more efficient offensively. Let's take a quick break here to tell you today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Basketball season, quiet, right? It's in the dead zone right now, other than the World Cup. I don't even know if you can bet on the World Cup, to be honest. But it doesn't mean you can't win money on the NBA or in college already, because both those seasons do have title odds. Clippers, Lakers, they lead the pack in the NBA, plus 350, plus 400, respectively. A lot of excitement there in LA the Celtics eh, not so great title odds not like last year it's plus 1600 so it's a little rough but it is plus 300 to win the division for the green so if that's something you're thinking about baseball season that's winding down at this point at least the regular season placing a wager on baseball it's never been easier you got all the best odds at betonline.ag this weekend for instance a's astros very important al west showdown very important in terms of the wild card standings which some red sox fans have not given up on yet so you got to keep an eye on the a's along with the indians the rays a's are one of the hottest teams in the second half which has to be infuriating in some ways if you're an oakland fan because if they just spend a little bit of cash they could maybe do this every year and not just all the billy bean money ball kind of stuff not that it's totally 
the way it once was in the early 2000s. But anyhow, in the Astros, that's one of the best teams in baseball. We know that. And also, NFL, it's here. It's back. It's underway. And to celebrate another season kickoff, BetOnline.ag and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can head over to BetOnline.ag. Use your mobile device to join today. Use promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. So don't just sit on the sidelines this football season, especially now that we're getting going. Get into all the action with BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Minimum $55 deposit required. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions. Let's get back to Gary. Well, keeping it going with Jalen from uh, Ozzy here. Do you think Jalen will have a breakout year? And also, who's going to be the X factor for the Celtics team? You'd like to think Jalen can have a breakout year. I think he's ready. I mean, remember, he's also playing for a contract. He yep. can be extended this summer up, up until October. And if not, he'll be a restricted free agent next year. And that will be an interesting scenario because the Celtics have had to figure out they're, they're obviously going to sign um, Tatum. So where does Brown lie? And and there's guys who are signing these four-year, $80 million deals. And I'm sure Jalen, who does not have an agent, is um, considering, you know, uh, looking at these deals and saying, okay, I want one of those. I'm not sure that's enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that might not be enough. You know, it could be four and a hundred or something or, you know, because there's the you know the Ben Simmons deal and the Devin Booker deal and I think those are the deals that, that Tatum is probably going to ask for, but we'll see what happens uh, with Brown. So it's a, it's a lot going on uh, with Jalen, but he he's got to clear his head and he's got to be uh, better this year, much much better, much more consistent. The X factor, I mean, it could be cancer. You know, we don't know. He works hard. He's not a guy who is, is not trying to be better. And I think that he could be a dominant factor in the paint in terms of defensively. And I'm not talking about, you know, Dwight Howard, like in his heyday, but just provide more of a presence. You know, this team has never since Garnett and Perkins has not had a definitive defensive center, but just to, to provide resistance, you know, uh, Aaron's Bain, Aaron Baines tried, but as you know, Adam, everybody tried to dunk Aaron Baines into the basket. I don't know if Aaron <laughs> Baines intimidated guys. Uh, Cancer might be able to and also get a volume rebounder. So I think if he can become a volume rebounder, make this team a better rebounding team, middle of the pack, not one of the worst ten, and also get to the free throw line and get this team easy points, I think he can be the X factor. Yeah, I mean, if given the opportunity, I, I certainly think that he's capable of being a, a not – probably averaging a double-double, but being a semi-automatic double-double type of guy. Where where I would be concerned is is the defense, like you brought up, because he's obviously early on in his career not not renowned for that side of the game. He'll, he'll get you rebounds, especially offensive rebounds, but when it comes to actually protecting the rim, that's, that's not a strong suit to this point. No, not a strong suit for him, but I think he'll try it. I think yeah. he's still young enough to where he can give an effort, and I, I don't think the Celtics expect him to be this defensive stopper, but they expect him to be a presence on both sides and just at least show uh, effort in that situation and defensively, and you would hope uh, guys like Brown and Tatum and Smart can, can do their job to where they can be a better defensive team overall. So I wondered for X Factor if you were going to say Gordon Hayward because obviously, and and you talked about it earlier in the show, this guy, if if he's Utah Gordon, then the ceiling is much higher for this club versus what we saw last year when he was still working his way back. So James wants to know, do you see Gordon Hayward being back to his best this season? You know, a couple of years removed from the injury at this point. I think the organization hopes so. I don't think anybody knows, to be honest, Adam. I, I and, and as much as we oh, all, you know, Gordon's looking great, and Gordon's got the full summer. We're hearing everything. We heard this last year. Mm. You know, uh, Gordon's doing great in the the preseason, the pre-training camp, five on fives, uh, the informal uh, scrimmages. Oh, he, he's ready. And then we got the Gordon that we got last year. So I'm. For me to say that, oh, yeah, Gordon's ready to take the next step, I, I, I don't think anyone could say that. I don't know if he could say that right now. I think he's just got to prepare himself for what's he, which is what he's doing the best he can and try to hope that his physical and his mental both come back in harmony and he can get back to that uh, pre-injury Gordon. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that, honestly, um, will we ever see all-star Gordon? I'm not sure, but I do think he can be a lot better. And I think he probably will be, but I don't think anyone can guarantee that. Well, going back to Ennis Cantor, obviously he's the guy that's that's going to be the starting center as long as nobody's hurt anyway come opening night. But Kevin wants to know, not counting injuries, so everybody's healthy, just talking about a guy emerging, could Robert Williams be the starting center for this team this year? I don't think he can be a starting center. He's got to be offensive presence, and, and I don't know if Robert's ready. I mean, you know, I always kind of compare him, uh, best-case scenario, to like a Tyson Chandler, mm. a guy who didn't have much of an offensive post game, but was a rim runner, a defender, a guy who could rebound and do all the little things. And I think Robert might not be able to be able to start for this team, but can take the next step where he can become and carve out a role. Now, how is that going to work? Because we don't know what, what you know, Tice is, is, is who he is and uh, will, I, I think, be a little bit better than he was last year. And then we don't know what to expect from Vincent Poirier. We don't. We have no clue. I mean, we, we can only go off his uh, games. Now, you know, he's playing for France in the FIBA tournament and his overseas experience, but we have no idea how it's going to translate. Um, you know, we, he, he could be another Tice, which is a very useful player. He could be Victor Favarani, who was just kind of a useless guy uh, when he came over a couple, you know, four or five, six years ago. So, or Sime Erden, if you remember that, mm-hmm. uh, back in the early two, two, 2010s. So I think that there's a lot of factors, but I think the opportunity, they want Robert to succeed. The first-round pick, he's got a lot of natural talent, a lot of ability, athleticism. They want him to, to succeed. So the question is, will he take advantage of that opportunity? That's, that's key. He will, he will get a chance. This question's about the biggest of the bigs from Clayton. Does Taco Fall play at least six minutes per night for this club? And I will add in before you answer that, of course, and you know this, he doesn't currently have a contract that even allows him to play in the NBA. He's he's still trying to earn that. But what do you think? Uh, six minutes, eh? I think that I think it's an interesting situation with him because, one, I think the organization is trying to figure out how to use him because he does have a purpose. He's not a stiff. You know, physically, he's not a stiff for seven five, seven six. He, he can he can run the court, and he can you know. There's going to be situations where he can't be used, where teams go extra small, and he's going to have to guard the three point line. That's not going to be his game. But I do think that um, they're trying to figure out, okay, can we use this kid in certain situations and make him kind of a specialized player? So they're going to give him every every opportunity to take that last roster spot, six minutes a game. I think some days it could be DNP, other games it could be maybe 10 minutes. So could he average six minutes? Yeah, of course. Uh, will he spend some time in the in the G League? Um, if he does make the roster, you know, to see how, how it goes, I think there's plenty of uh, options. Um, they're going to give him every opportunity, I think, to grab that last roster spot. Because um, I think on the court it works at him. You know, they want it to work. And I think off the court they, they understand how big of a deal he could be to not only, the, you know, maybe the G League team, but also to the franchise, kind of a breath of fresh air. He's an amazing guy. So I think everyone wants him to succeed, and they're going to give him a chance. Sticking with the rookies, Gary, and Fall, of course, being one of them, Bill wants to know, of the five rookies, the four drafted and then Fall signed that the club has, will you please rank their chances of sticking with the team and their chances of seeing meaningful minutes? And if also, he adds in, if we were redrafting after we saw what we saw in Summer League, do you think Carson Edwards would have gone quite a bit higher? Is he a steal? Yeah, I think he has a chance to be a steal. I mean, I think there's a reason why the Celtics kind of purged that second-round pick from Philly to, to, to be able to draft him because they they didn't have to give him a guaranteed deal, which they did, but they were a little bit more in control of the of him contractually. And, yeah, he could be a major steal for this team. I mean, this guy is fearless. You know, he reminds me a lot of Isaiah Thomas in terms of his ability to score and the fact that he's so used to playing against bigger guys that doesn't phase him to be the small guy on the floor. Um now, how will, will he fight for minutes uh, this year? Perhaps. You know, he could he could carve out a role. I mean, let's see what happens. Um, you know, at backup point guard, because um, you got you know Brad Wanamaker back. Does I think Brad gets the early nod because of the experience? But what does Carson do? How how, how much will he help? 
I think he can help his team, and I think it, it, I think it's a, I think it was a great pick, and I think that he'll end up being uh, a fan favorite and maybe a star on this team eventually. Um, I think he's that good, and I think he's that fired up and motivated to prove that at five eleven, six feet, whatever he is, that he can be an NBA standout player. Getting to the guys and back to the guys that that play the significant minutes. Timothy says, uh, can you discuss the possibility of Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Kemba, so big five if you were, that lineup specifically seeing significant time this year? How well do you think that would work? I think it's going to be um, a lot of mix and match with the lineups, but I don't know what they're going to do with the starting lineup. Is Gordon going to start? I think he likely comes off the bench. We'll see what happens there. I think Brad's going to have a lot of options, and I think it's going to be a lot like last year in terms of he is going to figure out what is the best lineup at every on, on particular nights, and that's something that I think is going to bring some some not necessarily consistency, but everybody's going to get a chance to play. Now, how that translates to some guys not starting certain nights, like last year with Marcus Morris or Marcus Smart, fixing and matching. Who knows? You hope that they are unselfish enough to where it, it, it translates fine. But I think with Hayward, with Brown, with Tatum, I don't think you can start all three. But I do think that there's going to be some times where you might stick Hayward in there for a start. But I think Brown and Tatum, Smart, Cantor, and Walker are your starting five. And Brad said something very interesting the other night where he said, you know, you guys all know the five guys we're going to play a lot of the time, and I think that's the five that he was talking about. Now, did he, you know, did he include, you know, would he include, would he include Gordon in there as a six man? Yeah, I think so. But I think the five is going to be the five that uh, Walker, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Cancer. See, this is you know, to talk about us burying the lead forty or forty five minutes into the show, and this is why I'm thankful for these mailbag questions. It hasn't even occurred to me, and I think most people at least that are talking about it, the notion that Hayward would begin by coming off the bench for this team. Mainly I think because, you know, Danny Ainge, Brad, they've they've talked so highly about Gordon and and the summer and getting back to where he was. And obviously if he looks the way he looked last year, yeah, that's that's a no brainer. Everything you're saying makes total sense. But if he is close or or in a perfect world back to what he was in Utah or, or, or damn close to that, you really think Gordon Hayward's coming off the bench for this team? Yeah, I think that he is humble to the point where I think that – and I think that they like that role for him. Interesting. I mean, de- defense is a, is a is a can he defend as a starter? And what do you do with – do you bring Brown off the bench? Uh, I, think, I, I think that at this point you don't throw Hayward into the fire like they did last year. Last year they started him. It did not work out, and they ended up bringing him off the bench because he was okay with coming off the bench and he knew he wasn't where he needed to be. Now, does Brad say, hey, guys, to Brown and Hayward, you know, you guys are going to fight it out this training camp to see who starts? I mean, that's kind of a risky proposition because now you're pitting them against each other, and I don't think they're particularly close in terms of, I think there was some resentment last year about giving Hayward the spot. Um, so who knows, or does Brad say, this is my five, Gordon, we're just going to start you out at the bench, and if you happen to play so well, start, we'll make that change, but now these are the guys I'm going to go with. I think that's probably the approach they take as opposed to, here, Gordon, here's here's a chance to start, and we'll just work you, you know, we'll just let, let this uh, see what happens here. I think that they gave him the starting spot when he wasn't ready, and I think, you know, Jalen had to get used to coming off the bench, which is not something he was crazy about. Um, but I also think last year will tell will teach this team to be selfless. It's interesting. They have to be more selfless. Well, they, have to they definitely have to be. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Learning about that was not something that they were successful at last year, and, and in many ways, even the year before. I, I think we've talked about this. I know I've talked extensively about this with a variety of people, but really, you could look back at, at that playoff run two years ago where they had all that success without Gordon, without Kyrie Irving, and say that ultimately that was bad, at least for last year's team, not for the long-term development for those guys. And, and maybe in, in the long run, it will be a good thing, but in the short term of, of that team 
last year buying in, being selfless, being successful, accepting roles, not letting egos get too big, all of that. It was horrible for last year and and may have even contributed heavily to the fact that Kyrie Irving is no longer here, for better or worse. Yeah, I think it's a lot of things last year, unfortunately, for the Celtics. The, the, The playoff run I don't think helped last year in terms of guys' confidence and guys wanting to be more, have more expanded roles. I think Terry Rozier kind of being relegated to the bench, I think he was basically, you know, brooding and pouting all year. I don't think that was a positive impact. And and so in the Gordon situation, you know, where he just wasn't what he was supposed to be, I just think a lot of factors manifested into that that poisonous atmosphere. And you would hope that guys learn from that. You would hope that, Removing Terry from the situation, moving Kyrie, removing Kyrie from the situation helps, and replacing him with a more positive uh, force like Kimba. Um, you know, I I always liked Mar- Marcus Moore, so I didn't have an issue with him and how he handled things at all. Uh, but just some of the changes, you just hope that guys mature. And you know, Tatum is now, you know, he's still very young and twenty one. Jalen's about to turn 23 uh, next month. You know, so you would hope that these guys learn from this experience and take it. If someone's in their ear saying, listen, you know, yeah, you didn't get, you didn't get the, you got the raw of the deal, quote unquote, but you, you had a responsibility in this too. You didn't exactly handle it well. You hope that they don't have a bunch of yes men around them telling them that, uh, you didn't do anything wrong. Everybody was responsible for last year. The perception that it was all Kyrie's fault is wrong. It wasn't. Kyrie definitely shared some responsibility in what happened. No question about that. But the, the perception that it was Kyrie and everyone else was fine is not true. There was a lot of blame mm-hmm. to be handed around about last year's dysfunction. I keep going back to, I'm still thinking a little bit about the Hayward thing, and and you mentioned Hayward versus Brown, and and maybe it comes into position a little bit. I think if you were to poll most people, you know, you put a a question out on Twitter or something like that and said, what do you expect the starting lineup to be for this team? Most people, maybe I'm wrong about this, I feel like most people would have guessed or assumed it would be, you've got Cantor in there, you, you've got your big, but then you've got Kemba, you've got Brown, you've got Hayward, and you've got Tatum, and it would have been Marcus Smart, especially because he's so selfless, he's such a buy-in guy, he doesn't care what his role is, He's and he's already gotten paid, that he would be the sixth man, the first guy coming off the bench before, you know, as he's so used to that role, before being elevated into the starting unit much of the time last year. But you don't see it happening that way, you, it, or it sounds like anyway that you think it's sort of a foregone conclusion that Smart just keeps on starting. Yeah, I think so, because defensively, because I think it all depends on how, you know, last year they started Smart defensively to help out Kyrie, and it all depends, depends on how they feel about Kemba defensively and whether he can uh, – accurately defend opposing point guards. Um, but I think they'll mix and match because there's just so many different types of lineups they can play. And also, um, you know, who plays the who plays the four with no Baines and no uh, – to play five and no – you know, Horford's gone. Is it is it Brown or – is it Brown or Tatum? I think they're, they're going to have to – they're going to have to be versatile. Um, and they don't have that, you know – and without even Marcus Morris to play some four, they don't – they don't have that legitimate, bona fide four-man uh, like they've had in the past. So they're going to have to mix and match, which I think is fine. I don't think that will hurt them, but I definitely think that they're going to have to be a little bit. They're going to have to. Brad's going to have to come up with some um, plans here in, in terms of how to use this roster, and I think that it could be effective. But I do think they like Marcus as a starter. I, I do think. And if he takes the next step offensively and becomes a more capable scorer, I think it works out because they want to be de- better defensively. Of course, they could make Brown the shooting guard, Tatum the small forward, but I doubt very seriously that Brown, Tatum, and Hayward are all starting. Thanks to everyone for the uh, the Twitter questions, the mailbag questions. That was a lot of fun, and maybe we'll do another one of those pretty soon because I obviously, as we just learned, opens up some doors that I wasn't even 
necessarily planning on walking through. But uh, staying with Twitter, Gary, you know, I, Sean Grandy was on the show a couple weeks ago and and made the comment. And I, I know there's a, a segment of Celtics fans, at least the ones that are on social media, that would feel the same way. And he said, uh, or kind of joked, that, you know, as hard as it was to see Al Horford go, it's it's really hard to see Anna Horford go. I, I imagine you probably follow her on Twitter and she's entertaining. She's part of the CLNS family. And lately she's been doing a lot of Q&As with fans and and it's I think it's a lot of Boston fans in particular that flood her uh, her Twitter feed and so I won't ask this in any sort of leading way I just want your reaction to this tweet because it had a real viral reaction to it from people responding retweeting liking all of that she was asked uh, the other day and fully admitted that she was a little drunk when she was doing this <laughs> but she was asked by someone have you ever met Robin Hayward of course Gordon's wife and thoughts on her if yes all Anna responded with was yes no comment. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I have no <laughs> idea how that dynamic goes. So, yeah, that's. A, I saw that, and I don't know if she was just trying to be private or trying to be, you know, I'm not going to reveal my relationships with some of the other families of players, so I'm not going to go into that at all. So you could ask more questions, or I have an issue with Robin Hayward. I, I have no idea how that goes. I, You know, that's an inter- that was an interesting response. Uh, Anna Horford was a very vocal uh, about her feelings in, in many ways, and I, you know, I think that was a fun thing for guys who and folks who fans who follow social media. But I, I also think maybe it's time for that. that was, that's one of the caveats of Al leaving is maybe the, the Celtics don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah, uh, some of the some of the stuff that was was circulating that she was putting out there. You know, but I do think that she she wrote that he enjoyed Boston and and, and things like that. Tough decision uh, for him to leave. So yeah, that was a, an interesting response. I have I have you know no no very little uh, about it, any of those dynamics. Yeah. And so I yeah, I'm not sure what to say. Sure. No, and I don't want to put you in an awkward spot. Obviously, uh, it, it was it, like you said. You could interpret it in any way that you want to, but I think. We know which way most people, at least based on the reaction she was getting to it, were interpreting it. But moving on from that, you've been in Springfield for the uh, the Hall of Fame inductions, and it's uh, it's it's not one of the greater classes that we've seen in recent years, although plenty of deserving members. And on that note, and you wrote about this guy, long well, not long time, but four-year Celtics coach and a very successful one, won about three-quarters of his games in a championship back in 81, Bill Fitch, new Hall of Famer, and it just... One thing that that bugs me, and maybe it bugs you too, is he was unable to travel for his enshrinement because of health issues, and that's no great shock. He's 87 years old. Larry Bird, the presenter. But Fitch has been away from coaching for 20 years and still, to this date, has the 10th most wins in NBA history. I guess my question here is, you know, what the hell took so long? Because it's it's a real shame that, that a clearly deserving member of the Hall, especially in the NBA, where... A lot of people get in, you know, into the Basketball Hall of Fame across the the sport. And there are plenty of people that you could look at and even say aren't the most deserving members of the Hall are already in. What has taken so long? Because he clearly years ago could have attended. Nothing about his resume has changed in the last two decades. This should have come earlier, and it's a real shame that, that he's unable to take part. Yeah, it is um tough situation because the Hall of Fame, the NBA, or NBA, not the NBA. The Naismith Hall of Fame voting is very unlike uh, the other, you know, two major sports. I'm not sure how it is in hockey, mm. so uh, don't quote me on that. But with that, you know, with football, you've got names that come up and media members who rep- who covered those guys, kind of lobbying for them, which I think is unusual. Where you'll have, let's say, a Boston writer, step, you know, for example, step up and you know give Brady's case as, as if they're one that needs to be made, but you know. When, uh, you know, let's say a Rodney Harrison or a Richard Seymour or whoever comes up would make that case for his Hall of Fame induction, um, and then they vote. And in baseball, as you know, it's a public vote with, with amongst the Baseball Right Association of America. In basketball, it's a private committee, anonymous committee, that serves three-year terms. And once they contact you, you're sworn to secrecy about your vote and about being on this committee. So we have no idea who votes. Hmm. Um, I think the league, I think that the, the Naismith Hall of Fame likes it that way. They like the anonymous voting. Um, 
you know, I got a lot of uh, emails and flack uh, about when Dino Raja last year was inducted. And this year it's Vladi Divac. We have to understand, folks, that there's different committees. There's the North American Committee. That's the committee. If you're going to have an issue with a committee, Adam, have an issue with the North American Committee. Don't have an issue with an international committee, which elects international players and takes their international uh, resumes into account. Mm. So Dino Raja was a superb player overseas. Not a superb Celtic, okay, that added to his resume because he did play in the NBA. He was actually decent for a while. But people thought, well, how does Dino Raja get in? How does Lottie Divac get in? He wasn't a Hall of Fame NBA player. No, he wasn't. But if you add his experience with the Yugoslavian national team and being on the team that won the Golden 88 and beat the Americans and all that, it puts him in. Um, so that's separate than a Bill Fitch. The North American Committee is the one that people need to have an issue with. And that they need to be more sensitive to the fact that some of these guys, their time is running out. In 2013, they elected Jerry Tarkanian and Guy Lewis. None of their resumes have changed recently. Tarkanian and Lewis, both were too, they both attended, both could not even speak. They were too old to speak, to even appreciate the award. They were both wheelchair-bound and just were there um, and couldn't even speak. That's that's a shame, mm-hmm. right? And, and the same with and the same uh, with Bill Fitch. I'm not sure what they'll do tonight in terms of whether they'll have a video of Fitch accepting his award. But yeah, you're right, Adam. His, his resume did not change for 20 years, and they need to be more sensitive about, hey, these guys are getting up there because they're voting in guys like Bill Self, who I don't think is a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. Um, that's ridiculous to me, but Bill Self is a Hall of Fame is in the Hall of Fame um, already, and Bo Ryan, the Wisconsin coach who retired, was up for induction and made the semifinals a few years ago. Like college coaches, that's one of the biggest points of contention is college coaches getting in very easily, and that's a big problem with amongst a lot of guys who are in the Hall and who would like to get in the Hall is. I'm not in, and, and they don't look at it like player-coach things. Some guys are like, hey, I played 12 years, made seven all-star teams, and I'm not in, but Bill Self is in? Are you <laughs> serious? So um, they, they, they've got some issues to iron out. And, you know, that's the one thing that bothered me about the Fitch thing was this is not this has happened before. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, JoJo White had just, you know, had brain surgery, and his resume was pretty much the same as it was uh, before his surgery. And he was able to give a video speech, but he was not in the, the, the top condition to really appreciate and accept his induction. He Obviously, in 2015, he died a few years later. He died last year, 2018. Mm-hmm. So the Hall of Fame has got to wake up to this. They can't keep inducting these guys who are too old because it just it does nothing but a disservice to the hall it does nothing to a disservice you know the, uh, the president told me yesterday, well these guys will be immortalized forever that's really nice but i think the whole thing of the hall of fame the whole point of the hall of fame is for a guy to be aware enough for him to realize and, and take in his induction the, what what gets us his hall of fame ceremonies is these guys being emotional and it's because it's a career uh, adornment, achievement, coronation, and for them guys, these guys to appreciate it, and that's the tough part. You you, you will not get to see Bill Fitch say, "Hey, you know, thank you guys for I, I you know, yeah, I lost a lot of games and I, and I rebuilt a lot of franchises and I did get the respect I felt I deserved." But thank you. We won't hear anything. So there's there's a there's a problem here, and hopefully, you know. Me writing about this and other people writing about it will, will open the eyes of some of these uh, of the voters and the committees to figure out how to do be better at this. Because you know, Tarkanian was a Hall of Famer. I know he had his issues with the NCAA, but he didn't get in until 2013, which I felt was ridiculous. But that was personal because of his issues with the NCAA. And the mm-hmm. same with Guy Lewis, uh, his his uh, you know great coach at the University of Houston. Although he didn't win an NCAA title, he coached countless NBA players. And 
for that to go down, and and then you look and Bill Stealth is in, you know, who won a championship because Derrick Rose missed some free throws in 2008, and Memphis couldn't hit a free throw in the fourth in the second half of that championship game against Kansas. Um, that's that's what has guys steamed up, um, and that's that, that's that, that's a that's a valid point. Um, so. The, you know, as much as I like coming here, it is tough to watch guys like Fitch and guys be too old or unfortunately dead when they're inducted. Like Dennis Johnson several years ago, uh, something's got to change. When you're – so I didn't realize, and I guess I never really looked into it, but I, I didn't realize there's the, the three-year anonymous committees that, that are so incredibly secretive. Are you allowed to say – after you've been on one that you were on one, or is it just something that's totally and forever private? I have had uh, someone tell me that they were on afterwards, but I have not had one person who was on a committee or I don't think people publicly go and go, yeah, I was on the committee, you know, six years ago. No, like I've had someone privately tell me they were, but not publicly. So I would not know who voted for the hall in 2010 or, Mm-hmm. 18 or I, I don't know. And I, and I, and I don't mind the anonymous voting. I just think there has to be a better awareness of, you know, some of these guys that are up and some of the states that they're in, you know, if a guy's, if the guy's approaching his eighties, as opposed to, right. And I always point to the bill self example where guy, you know, in, in, in and they were, they, and there've been a lot of players and now, in a, you know, in this year's class, Adam, it just isn't. I think Devots is the youngest guy in the class. Like, there's no Chris Webber. There's no. There's no fresh. The next year is going to be ridiculous because it's going to have Duncan, Kobe, and Garnett. Yeah. Okay, that's, this is next year is going to be perhaps the biggest class. They're going to have to figure out whether they're going to be able to fit that thing in the Symphony Hall here, <laughs> as they have since Jordan was inducted in 2009. So that's going to be a class. But this class is nice, but it's a bunch of guys. You know, you've got you've got players saying, "Wait a minute, Jack Sigma, hold on, Are you serious, <laughs> Paul Westfall." Like, and I'm nothing against those guys. Some of those guys have Hall of Fame credentials. It's nothing wrong with that. The randomness of some of these elections. Yeah, this is one isn't getting to, big TV ratings. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, the randomness of some of these elections. The randomness of why this year for Jack Sigma? Or why this year for Paul Westfall or Sidney Moncrief when, you know, Jack Sigma's been retired since 1991? They've got to figure this out and be more consistent. And, you know, the Fitz thing bothers me. I covered him as a young reporter when he was with the, when he coached the Clippers. I got to know him, and he deserved this. He, he lost more games than he won, but he was known as an organizational resurrector. He re- resurrected the Cavaliers, the Celtics. He brought them to the championship. Uh, the Nets, he won, went to the playoffs the Nets in the early 90s. And then finally the Clippers, all five teams he coached, they reached the playoffs. So I think he deserved this long ago, and it's unfortunate that he can't enjoy it like he should. And they've got to do something about that. They can't rely on the, well, he'll be immortalized for him. Like that's, that can't, you know – I don't know how much you appreciate things when you're dead, but I would tend to lean. <laughs> well, it's more for your family lean, and not you at that point. Yeah, I, I would tend to lean toward you don't enjoy it as much as you would if you were alive. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm inclined to agree. Um, yeah, I'm going to lean toward that line of thinking. And they need to do be better about some of these guys that are up for induction and getting them in when they can appreciate it. Well, I enjoy and appreciate whenever you're on this show, and, and you'll be happy to know that because of the Internet, this show will be immortalized forever. Good to know, Adam. Good to know. We'll, we'll go down. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> good to know. Hopefully I'll be around for a long time, so, you know, but this is a great show. I appreciate it. But, yeah, we'll, we'll both be immortalized forever, Adam, some, some, somehow, some way. Terry Washburn of the Boston Globe. I, by, yeah, probably our families. I don't know if it'll be people in this business, at least for me. I won't speak for you. Kerry Washburn, thank yeah. you very much. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Gary Washburn. That was great. I, I tell you, I, I wish I'd started with the Hall of Fame topic just by coincidence because I, I'm not sure. I mean, I appreciate all your Twitter questions. I might have done the whole show just on the Hall of Fame because – 
that to me is is I learned a lot. I hope you did too. That was really fascinating. There are so many different things that we could go into with that. Maybe we have Gary back on at some point to to further expand upon the different categories and and who's gotten in and and griped about not gotten in and all different things with the Hall of Fame because that to me was really uh, fascinating. It's why I I, I always I scoff. I, I laugh when all these Hall of Fame debates come up in basketball. Never mind the other sports, but in basketball, it, to piggyback kind of on on what Gary was saying that like there's there was that debate a couple of years ago is Chris Bosh a Hall of Famer and and people saying no yes he absolutely is a Hall of Famer and if you don't think so it's not that he belongs in there it's that you don't quite understand how how this works and that everything is taken in college international play you know the olympics and and not just your NBA run and everything. So it's it's really, it is very interesting. But thanks again to Gary. I'm going to get going now at this point. But we've uh, we've run longer than, uh, well, not usual. We typically run long, but longer than I intended. So how about that? Thanks to M. Valenti, producer, and of course, uh, fills in from time to time as well. Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media who make these shows possible. And of course, most especially you. Get me on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman. Want to remind you this show brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $55 or more. Go enjoy win some cash. All right, we're going to be back with you each and every Sunday. Season's approaching. We'll talk more about the World Cup and, of course, training camp. That's beginning pretty soon. It's not far away. Guys are around. There are plenty of guys around Boston. So uh, maybe, just maybe, we'll get some of this guy, Gino, at the Garden. All right, I'm Adam. Have a good one. Enjoy football. 